you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you today? You know, I am. I'm doing great. It's 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 been a it's been a hot week again, but you know, we we made it through yet another week. But I'm um, excited to be here and be healthy, and um, just looking forward to having some great conversations with our guests today. We are going to have some great conversations, and uh, I also know you're excited about some caregiver summit news, which we will get to uh, later on in the program. And uh, sneak peek for folks: if you want to register, you can do that now. Just head on over to Caregiver Summit. Org, but we're going to hop into the show right now, and we're going to be talking about caregivers and the importance of self-care when it comes to caregivers. And to do that, we've brought on Michael Patterson. He's back on the show. He's the support services manager for the Durham Center for Senior Life. Michael, welcome back on the show. Good morning. How are you? Thank you for having me. Doing great. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. And, you know, I think one of the things that we've all experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic is really just that general sense of isolation and just having that new normal, which definitely feels weird, you know, having to stand back from people when they're speaking to us or wearing a face covering or just frankly being uh, Zoom zombified. I feel like a lot of times I'm turning into a Zoom zombie with all of my online meetings and things of that nature. But one thing we know for sure is that even though we have the COVID-19 pandemic around us, life is still going on for the family caregivers that were caregiving before the pandemic and then for the folks who've become caregivers since the pandemic has happened. And I know that I have personally talked to a number of people that are finding self-care even more difficult now while they're on this long-distance marathon of caregiving for a loved one because a lot of the outlets that people used to have are no longer available right now because of social distancing or, uh, you know, state orders to uh, limit, you know, access to certain types of buildings and things of that nature. So, so glad to talk to you today about what caregivers can do to really help care for themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you mentioned, during this uh, COVID-19 time, it's been very difficult for a lot of caregivers. Uh, Much like you, I've spoken to many caregivers here in Durham County. um, And initially, uh, caregivers were doing okay the first couple of weeks. They were managing. um, No one knew exactly how long this... uh, virus or this pandemic would go on. So everyone was very optimistic initially. And then as the weeks continued to roll in and weeks turned into months and now here we are and, and, and caregivers are, are in need of, of self-care and, and trying to be creative with how they can have that uh, self-care during these times, like you said, with the social distancing and with a lot of uh, places closed. The Durham Center for Senior Life is closed to the public. We're still open for services, but um, that was a uh, a staple in the community for a lot of the caregivers here in Durham County. 
So what are some things that you have put in place to help caregivers stay connected and um, you know, able to care for themselves as best they can during this time? Absolutely. Uh, what we've done at the Durham Center for Senior Life uh, first is we've gone completely virtual. Um, our Dur- uh, Durham Center for Senior Life Facebook page um, has really ramped up. Uh, we've offered classes virtually, uh, whether it was exercise classes. Uh, we have a ton of exercise classes that are taught by senior volunteers, uh, which is our most popular programming Um and between our staff and a few volunteers who were um, eligible and, and still willing to come out and participate, uh, we've conducted virtual programming. Um, I had my first Powerful Tools for Caregivers virtual uh, class series um, in May leading into June. Um, and it went very, very well. Um, I learned a lot during that virtual class. Um, and we're actually going to offer the Powerful Tools for Caregivers class again uh, this August, uh, actually August the 20th. Um, it'll be, again, a virtual um, class series. It lasts six weeks. Um, over those six weeks, we go over different chapters in the Caregiver Help book. Um, it just kind of outlines ways that caregivers can take care of themselves. Um, it's very interactive, um, and our caregivers have uh, really taken well to the classes and the online virtual programming we've done. So one of the ways that uh, I talk to family caregivers right now, you know, a lot of times people had those more social outlets is, you know, trying to figure out how to get together again and still um, during this time. And and it's been hard, because, especially just to even do anything outside. The heat has been so incredibly op- oppressive for sure. Uh, but even if it's, you know, just taking five minutes of your day just to think about, you know, maybe what some of your blessings are. And I know it's really hard, you know, when you're in the throes of caregiving. I have been there myself. And I remember once a very difficult conversation I had with my grandfather. I I was at the time taking care of my two-year-old, my two-week-old, a puppy, a husband at home. And and, and, and then I had my grandfather, who was in his 90s, who had his mental faculties, but he was very, very physically compromised. And I remember every night, you know, one of the things I needed to do because he had such poor circulation in his feet, I had to, you know, soak his feet and wash his feet and moisturize his feet and, you know, take his Ted hose off and things like that. And I just remember one night I was doing this at like 11.30 p.m. and he looked down at me and I looked up at him and he said, you know, this is just too much for you. And I looked at him and I said, you know, Grandpa, it, it really is. And, you know, I, I had guilt. I carried guilt for having that very real conversation. But I think, you know, as, as family caregivers, it's really important to actually acknowledge how hard it is to be a family caregiver. And I think sometimes doing that is really a good way to you know, have self-care is just to acknowledge, well, geez, you know, this was a really hard day or this was a really hard moment in my day. And it's okay to have those feelings of overwhelm. It's okay to be sometimes angry or resentful for having to be put into this place right now and then even more isolated from family and friends. And I think sometimes we want to always put on that big shiny face and not really 
talk about the feelings that we're having, and sometimes just even having a phone call conversation if if you can't, you know, physically get with some of those friends who were supports. Just hop on the phone and just chat with somebody and just say, you know, I'm having a really hard day, and and pick those people in your life that you can have those conversations with without judgment can be really a method of self-care that, you know, a pandemic can't take that method away from us. It can take our gyms away from us. It can take our ability to get together in large groups inside our homes or even our ability to bring in outside help if we're too scared to do that. But, you know, having some of those conversations and just getting that support one-on-one from another individual, COVID-19 can't take that from us. What other suggestions do you have to help a caregiver kind of get through this time? Yes, absolutely. Um, With so many challenges with um, self-care, not just for caregivers, but for everyone almost, um, is to really try to uh, focus in on what you can do. Um, you know, there's so many things we can't do now, but, you know, what are some of the things, some of the things we can do? Um, like you mentioned, um, having a conversation with a, a friend or a loved one um, that will allow you to have an outlet of some sort. Um, so focusing on some of the things that you can do is one of the things I stress to our caregivers, especially now during this time, as well as having realistic expectations. Um, you know, as a caregiver, we want to provide the absolute best care that we can. Um, and sometimes caregivers um, are, ve- well, not sometimes, most times, caregivers are very hard on themselves. Like you mentioned, uh, they carry a lot of guilt, um, a lot of different emotions. Um, so learning from your emotions is another thing that I talk to caregivers about. Um, like you said, it's okay for you to be frustrated or to um, have feelings of emotions because everyone's a human being and everyone deals with emotions. Um, the thing when we're dealing with our emotions that I tell our caregivers is don't bottle up your emotions. You know, if you're feeling a certain way, um, you know, address it. You know, recognize why you're why you're feeling this way, and what can you do to address it? Um, you know, sometimes with caregiving, you know, you're doing so much. Um, you are the cook. You are the um, house cleaner. You are, you know, um, dressing and, and, and bathing and, and toileting and different things like that. Um, and especially for a caregiver who is new to the process, it can be very, very overwhelming. Um, so focusing on what you can do, um, you know, having realistic expectations, because um, as a caregiver, not everyone has a medical background or a healthcare background, you know. Um, so going into that caregiver role, so to speak, um, you have to have realistic expectations. We all want to provide the absolute best care that we can, but you also don't want to uh, set unrealistic goals or have unrealistic expectations because then that can set yourself up for failure, which can lead to more emotions, um, you know, which can definitely take you down a a road that you don't want to be in. Um, Most caregivers, uh, when they don't address their emotions, um, will tend to have some of their own challenges as a caregiver. And if our caregivers' health are compromised or challenged, 
um, then their loved one will also suffer as well. Um, and that's one of the things I talk to our caregivers about a lot. You know, it's a domino effect. Um, and sometimes they don't, you don't realize that when you're in the, the trenches, so to speak, of caregiving, um, you're so focused on taking care of your loved one that you neglect yourself. Um, so it's very important to, to have these. Um, one of the things I've done recently is um, I became certified through the Dementia Alliance to perform um, virtual support groups. Um, so in the coming month, I will um, start to venture out and do support groups um, here in Durham virtually and probably eventually spread out. Um, because like you mentioned, sometimes just having someone that they can talk to um, or someone to just listen to them um, is very, very beneficial. Yeah. Knowing that you're not alone is so key, Michael. That's a great point. We're we're just about out of time. We do have to take a break, but I do have enough time to thank Michael Patterson for joining us today. He is the uh, support services manager for the Durham Center for Senior Life. You can find more about them online at dcslnc.com. Org. Durham Center for Senior Life. That's Those are the initials, nc.org. D-C-S-L-N-C.org. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, we're, uh, it, it's hard to go a segment without talking about the impact of COVID-19 and how it's disrupted things. But we're going to take a look here about how the hospital-to-home model has really uh, suffered and things have changed due to COVID-19. And that's a conversation that uh, we brought some folks to help us out. And uh, first off, we have two people on the line. And the first voice we're going to hear is Beth Adams. She is a home care liaison with Home Care Assistance. Beth, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. And along with Beth, we also have Courtney McAlpin. She is the marketing manager for Biata Home Health Care. Courtney, thank you for joining us as well. Yes, good morning. So this is a really interesting conversation and one that I um, love because I think community-based care is incredibly important for our older adult population, our chronic, uh, our population with chronic conditions. And I really feel like it's been a shining star during the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, I know a lot of families are especially hesitant to place a loved one in a long-term care community right now because a lot of the focus of the media has really been on the spread of COVID-19 in the more congregate living settings. And I can 
speak to the experience we've had at Transitions Guiding Lights with respect to, you know, when the COVID-19 pandemic started yeah. in this area around March, uh, individuals really started getting hesitant about bringing in any kind of care because everybody was just scared of, about what this virus was and, and how we were going to deal with it moving forward. As the weeks have turned into months and gosh, we're getting, we're creeping up on a half a year now dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, folks are really starting to get burned out with um, providing that care at home. And we're finding a huge uptick in family caregivers now, really trying to take a calculated risk, as, as they put it, and, and really needing that support at home because trying to do all of this by yourself, quickly people are learning that is not a sprint, it's a marathon, and they really need to bring in some outside supports. And I've really been impressed with how community-based care organizations have been partnering together and working together to really decrease risks for our most especially vulnerable population and to really help them age in place at home as best as possible. So, Beth, I'm really curious um, to hear your perspective on what experiences you have had working in a home-based care, in-home private duty care since the pandemic has happened and how this has been a, an option that has become ever popular during this time. Yeah, well, like like you said, it's, it's so important, I think, um, this during this time to be providing choices and options to people. A lot of people aren't even aware that they might not have to go straight to a rehab setting from the hospital. Or if they want to shorten their rehab stay, they don't know the options that are available for support at home. So that was part of the reason why Courtney and I wanted to talk about this. I think during this time, it's been even more important that we as a community and the community partnerships that we have, that we really come together and don't just think of what our own goals are, but really what the patient and the client's goals are. And that's kind of what made us want to speak about this today. Um, I, I know in our industry with home care, because there's been such an uptick of people wanting to possibly avoid a rehab or a skilled nursing facility, say, um, having home care to support the home health needs that they're having for a full and total complete supportive plan has been huge. And the way that we've kind of pivoted as a company is um, around April, we actually started actively recruiting caregivers who were interested and willing to do more 24-7 and live in caregiver cases because that is really what the demand is for right now. A little bit more of that. And a lot of people, sometimes they hear that home care piece and they think, I can't afford that. You know, and sometimes they think I'm going to the rehab because I have my, my free 20, you know, Medicare days. Um, but I, you know, I think it's important for people to know that there's different ways that we can to work it as far as to be financially possible for a lot of people. And just one small thing, you know, that I'd like to share is that um, having an actual live-in caregiver in the home, someone who is, is there in a separate space, but there first thing in the morning for someone, actually our rates start at about just a little over $13 an hour. And a lot of times people are blown away with that. And sometimes people, I just, it's just really great in order for us to kind of work together and help support people. They need to know that 
you know, ask, ask that question. Don't just be thinking it's just not something you can afford. So I think just pivoting and being ready for the need of the 24-7 and living caregiver has been a huge thing that we've done. So Beth, in a previous life, I was in a similar role as you working in private duty in-home care and loved, loved that oh, okay. opportunity and loved the work that caregivers do. And, and I have to say, what I really found was that the private duty in-home care company, those those. Uh, nursing assistants are really almost like the air traffic controllers. They are with that individual client or uh, older adult, you know, on a day in and day out, day out pos- uh, basis. And they are incredibly pivotal in actually talking to the other healthcare providers that are coming in on a more short-term basis about changes that they're seeing. And yeah. they, they really have their, their finger on the pulse of what's going on with that individual. And they can speak some of that medical language that a family may not be able to, um, you know, understand or, or know what to say to, you know, the, the home health provider when they come in. So I, I do agree, you know, it, it really does take a very special a nursing assistant to be in the home, especially when you have a lot of coordinated care. One of the things that I I really appreciate it. And maybe, Courtney, you can talk to this a little bit is, you know, when somebody's bringing in some of that more restorative therapy, so instead of going to the rehab center, having some of those therapies actually done in the home, uh, one of the things that I really loved was how the, you know, physical therapist or occupational therapist would actually train the in-home care provider on how to make sure that uh, individual at home is doing the required exercises to regain that lost mobility. Or, or things of that nature, where otherwise, if they were just coming in to do their, you know, 30 minutes of physical therapy, and then that older adult was left at home afterwards, chances are they wouldn't be following up and doing a lot of that um, restorative work in between visits. And I always found that it was awesome when there was a great team, and we always would find that people would improve so rapidly and, and so much better than they would if they were just at home alone. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, a lot of what our therapists are working on in the home um, our their patient's endurance, their strength and their mobility, and there will be exercises that they have um, to leave with the family to work on. Um, but if you've got an overwhelmed caregiver, a lot of times, you know, they're too busy making meals and trying to keep everything afloat at home. It's really nice to have those CNAs in the home that can put into action um, a lot of the work that we're doing um, to help the patient um, regain a lot of the what they've lost um, just from a lot of this social isolation and staying in the home and um, really just seeing some deconditioning in the home. Um, it really does help to have both uh, parts in there where you've got the home health team working on therapy and um, you've got the CNAs there to support what we're doing. One of the things that I really appreciated uh, that Beth spoke about really had to do with um, the fact that, you know, people people talk all about, well, I just want to go into the rehab facility because I have those free 20 days. But what I don't think people realize is that Medicare also covers the therapies in the home. Isn't that correct, Courtney? Yes, they do. So um, all we need is a doctor's order from, it can be from the primary care physician. A lot of times we get them from the rehabs and hospitals, but for someone who's trying to avoid rehab or hospitalization, um, the primary care provider can actually write orders for anything from nursing to physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy, as well as social work for them to have right in their home, 
covered 100% under their insurance. That's an important distinction to know. And uh, we have Beth Adams, who is a home care liaison with Home Care Assistance. We also have Courtney McAlpin on the line. She is the marketing manager for Biota Home Healthcare. And we're going to continue our conversation all centered around healing at home right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care, and you can find more about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.com. Transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guests right now are Beth Adams. She is a home care liaison with Home Care Assistance. And we also have Courtney McAlpin on the line. She is the marketing manager for Biota Home Healthcare. And we're talking all about healing at home and the, uh, the steps and options available to folks when it comes to getting better at home. And Nicole, so often when we talk about caregiving, uh, it, a lot of times we come back to the conversation of communication and how key that is. Definitely. I, I think that, you know, it's great to have all these different parts and pieces of the puzzle together, but if you don't have communication between all the different organizations that may be providing care for your loved one, whether it's pharmacy to physician or, you know, home health to home care or, or home care to hospice or whatever it may be, you know, I think there are a lot of opportunities that are lost. Beth, would you mind talking to us a little bit about, you know, the importance of communication when you're trying to have a more restorative goal for an individual who's in the home? Sure. And I have to just go back to what you said as far as just how things are kind of lost sometimes in communication. And I think about my, my experience, my past experiences in home health and hospice and how many times patients and families would say the list of medications you have is not what my doctor has, is not what the hospital has, is not what the rehab has. So this is a whole other layer of support that we are offering together when we're in there. So we have our nurse overseeing our caregivers and also kind of reconciling those medication, communicating that, making sure the home health nurse has what we have. Um, and it just really, this whole partnership during this time of kind of making this pivot to, to really meet the needs of our seniors um, has, has made us kind of go one extra step. And so Courtney and I in our positions are much more involved with the follow-up of our patients and clients and with our team getting that feedback because our aides can do, you know, so much a range of motion exercises in between and, and, and note that someone is either progressing or declining, but how do we get that information to the home health team? Because we're, we're two different organizations. So that could sometimes be challenging. So Courtney and I in our position, and, and I know other um, agencies in the area are doing this too, but um, really taking that extra step to follow up with our caregivers, follow up with our, our client care and clinical care managers to, to get that information. And then we pass it off to one another and we're kind of facilitating that communication because that's key. We, we could gather all we want, but if we don't have a, a process to get it back and forth to one another, it doesn't really help. So that's, that's been a, a new commitment and a new change that we've made during this time. 
So Courtney, do you have an example to help those listening to kind of visualize what a working situation would look like if organizations were working well together? Sure, yeah. We, so we recently had um, a family that was discharging a loved one home from a rehab, and um, the social worker mentioned that the family needed 24-7 care. Um, and so instinctively, you know, I'm setting up their nursing and physical therapy and making sure all that's getting scheduled. And I'm thinking I need to connect with Beth at Home Care Assistance because I know her um, agency is capable of staffing a 24-7 care. So I gave Beth a call, gave her some information on the client, um, and then connected her with the social worker so that she could follow up from there. And Beth, I'll let you share on your end of things after I pass the baton off to you. <laughs> yeah, and I think that the key thing that, that Courtney mentioned is that, you know, we want to make this as easy as possible for the rehab or the hospital. So they can call either one of us and they know that it's all going to be taken care of because they don't want to have to make five different calls. They want to have a point person. So that's why it's another reason why it's so key that we all come together in our in our and our uh, partnerships. Um, so, th- so the thing is, and I know you know my background with hospice, Nicole, too. Um, I and our team looks at home care with that same sense of urgency because even though no one has a six months or less prognosis or might be dying, they they feel like it. You know, they're, they're, they're in crisis mode of feeling like we need support. And in this particular case, this family actually wanted to leave before their actual days were up because there was you know, a new, a new COVID outbreak. And they just said, we, we got to get out of there. And so we, we needed to come together, you know, really quickly. We, I think, got the call on Thursday from Courtney and were able to start staffing a 24-7 care on Friday night. And, and generally, I mean, the, the smallest things when we went out and, you know, the, the elderly woman was staying with her son and he was just so overwhelmed by everything. He, you know, um, didn't have just even personal care items in place. And so instantly our nurse and our caregiver were making a shopping list and saying, here, I mean, there's just this overwhelming emotional feeling he was having of how am I going to handle this? And we, the next day, got a text from him saying that he was just saying, your, your workers are all stars and it's wonderful. And I really feel it was just being immediately coming together, Courtney and I, as a team, to, you know, meet that need. Um, and, and, it's, and it's a partnership. Not, not, neither one of us could, could do this great rock star thing alone. And so I think it's, it's a great thing for home care agencies and um, home health agencies to consider a partnership like this. Yeah, I think that's wonderful for sure. Um, I also know, you know, there have been some changes that I've heard, and I am certainly, I know enough to be dangerous, but I'm not an expert in this, so I'm going to point to you, Courtney. Um, My understanding is that uh, there has been a realization uh, way up high from Medicare uh, that COVID-19 has really brought on a new degree of complexity for older adults. And many older adults are especially vulnerable because of their primary diagnoses and are, you know, frankly, not not doing great in their homes because their activity level has decreased and, and they really can't, you know, maybe get to an outpatient rehab uh, to, to get some uh, helps and support. So my understanding is that you can actually receive the Medicare benefit for home health because of COVID-19. Not that you you necessarily have the diagnosis, but because you are at risk. Am I right? Yes. So actually, uh, Medicare and CMS have expanded the definition of the homebound status. So in order to have home health, you have to be considered homebound. 
um, which a lot of times patients who are leaving the hospital or the rehab are considered homebound for a short period of time. Well, they've recently clarified that a client is homebound if their physician advises them not to leave their home because of a confirmed or suspected COVID diagnosis, or if they're susceptible to contract COVID-19 due to an underlying condition. So this really opens the doors for a lot more people to receive care in their homes. Um, anybody who's at home losing muscle mass, you know, not getting out and not being able to move like they used to, um, this is certainly something that they could take advantage of. I think that's absolutely wonderful for sure. And talk to us a little bit about some of the other triggering events that would allow a person to receive uh, home health at home. I mean, it's not just about physical therapy and occupational therapy. I mean, it could be something related to a wound. What what other things can can a person receive Mm -hmm. home health for? Sure. So I would say like the most frequent that we see is related to a fall. Um, you know, as you age, falls are more likely due to medication changes, um, any muscle weakness, anything like that can cause a fall. And oftentimes the wounds can be related. So we can have nursing in the home um, to help care for and treat the wound. Um, Beth mentioned medication changes. Um, a lot of times there's a wide variety of medication changes. And even if someone is overwhelmed by um, their medications and maybe they have diabetes and they're on multiple Um, medications for their diabetes and they're just having trouble managing them and they feel like they're never doing it right, um, we can have a skilled nurse come to the home to help with that as well. Um, uh, uh, And including speech therapy and social work. Um, Speech therapy a lot of times is a more cognitive change that you might notice in a family member. Um, A lot of times people think speech is just related to talking, but um, swallowing, cognitive changes, um, any sort of like big memory changes um, would be something that speech would benefit from. And social work will help you, you know, if you need assistance getting resources, um, or maybe if you're considering your loved one needing to move to assisted or independent living, and you really just need someone there to talk out what your options are and what's available to them. I love that. And, you know, there are not a lot of services that older adults can get that are that don't directly come out of your personal pocket. And that's one of the things that I think people are surprised about when they're listening to, to the show. There's so many things that you have to pay for privately or if you were lucky enough to get a long-term care insurance policy for. So when you're listening today and you, and you heard some of the things that Courtney just said, if that sounds like a loved one in your life, I really encourage you to reach out and, and see if you can get an order for a, a home health evaluation. The worst that could happen is they say, no, your, your loved one's not eligible. But, you know, the best thing that could happen is they get those supportive services and, and you hopefully can help them age in place for as long as possible and potentially even restore, uh, you know, some of those lost abilities that you, you might have just assumed was, were just generally age related. But the reality of it is, is, you know, we, we can we can thrive in older adulthood and, and home health is certainly a way to help a person regain some of that lost ability. Beth Adams, Home Care Liaison with Home Care Assistance, and Courtney McAlpin, Marketing Manager for Biata Home Healthcare. Thank you both so much for taking some time to speak with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF, news talk traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about advanced directives. And to do that, we've brought on a returning guest here on the program joining us uh, on the phone. It is Chris Wilms. He's an attorney with Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah. Chris, welcome back on the show. Well, thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to be back. I'm always happy to contribute uh, relevant information. Definitely happy to have you here today. And, you know, I think it's rather timely to have you on air. There has been a lot of conversations about this COVID-19 pandemic, also known as coronavirus, whereby people are, um, you know, hospital systems, you keep hearing about the need for ventilators and respirators, and and we don't have enough in this country, and, and things of that nature. And sort of what I've been hearing on the healthcare side is sort of this overarching conversation about ventilators um, across media has created an opportunity for a lot of a lot more intimate conversations within families if they had to be faced with being put on a ventilator for the COVID-19 virus if it got to that would or would they not want to receive that type of care so I mean in some ways you know you can kind of look at the blessing and the curse with everything and you know maybe that for whatever reason, having this sort of national conversation is trickling down into the homes where these conversations really need to happen on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and um, I can tell you that since this has gotten so much attention in the media, um, I have gotten a lot of calls. Um, We've definitely seen a substantial number of people reaching out for estate planning um, and specifically discussing healthcare proxies and advanced directives. Um, This, I think, just the the constant attention that this crisis has created has created a, an opportunity, I agree with you, um, and where people are naturally talking about the process of death and, and what they would want and not want. So it's a great opportunity to bring up the topic of advanced directives. Yeah, so when we're thinking about advanced directives, um, so these are basically plans that people put into place in the event that they were no longer able to make the decisions for themselves. So basically, you know, you and I right now, we could say what we want or don't want if we walked into a hospital. But in the event where we became very, very ill and we were no longer able to do so, advanced directives basically, from my understanding, take over and then the people that you appoint are able to make decisions decisions on your behalf as if they were you um, related to health care and finances, correct? To some degree, yes. Yeah. So an advanced directive, well, think about it. ideally if you are become critically ill with something, you know, the doctor is going to walk in the room, talk to you about it, um, talk to you about your prognosis and your options. And after being fully informed, um, you'll, you, know, you and the doctor will make a decision together about, about life-prolonging measures. And in response to that, the doctor may enter an order, um, a do-not-resuscitate order or a, a most order, medical orders for scope of treatment, something that directs whether or not life-prolonging measures are going to be withheld. But oftentimes, you can't make that decision. You can't have that conversation with the doctor. And so an advanced directive um, for natural death essentially is you having that conversation in advance by having a series of situations that you describe in a document and explaining what you would and would not want 
in response to those various situations. So if you can't have a conversation at that time, when you find when you you know it's determined that you are you know terminally ill, the doctor can review that document and know what your wishes are. It's sort of like having the conversation in advance. Very very helpful. I mean, I know that um, during a crisis, you know. It, any type of crisis, you have a heart attack, you have a stroke, you get into a car accident, you know, there's so much emotion going around the shock of the family having to deal with this. Um, and then, you know, if, if people don't know what you would have wanted, that just creates even more stress with everybody offering their opinions about what they think you might have wanted. Absolutely. And what I have found is that people's perspectives on the process of dying are so different. I mean, I mean, to opposite extremes. Um, I'm my office is located near Research Triangle Park, so I get a lot of young professionals, young couples that just had a baby, or just bought a house, or just got married, or just moved to North Carolina, and they come in, and a lot of them have never been through or experienced the process of dying or having a loved one go through that process, and their perspectives often I've noticed there's a pattern. Um, their perspectives on the process of dying are often informed by the exceptions rather than the rule. So they they hear they see a headline of right. someone waking up from a coma after a year or or what happened on, on Grey's Anatomy. Channel. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um and so they 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 think that the miracles are the things that they should be looking for during this process. Um and and so they they have a very different perspective than someone who's been through this, had loved ones pass away or is a medical provider and kind of understands how this process works. You know, those those two people have very, we have very different conversations in my office about this process. And a lot of times, I'm trying to explain to them, as someone who brushes up against death for a living, like you, you really need to think about kind of what this the toll that this takes on your family, the expense associated with it, um, the other sort of factors that go into whether or not you would want life prolonging measures withheld under these circumstances where you're allowed to do that. And what is it actually going to look like, right? And and so I'm, I would imagine as an attorney that gets to be kind of tricky territory. You know, what can you expect if you were on a ventilator? What can you expect if you were getting intravenous fluid and food? You know, what could you expect, you know, name it, if you continue to receive all kinds of experimental drugs for cancer treatment? And so I would, I would, I would, I would wonder if, you know, there's at times where you just may recommend that folks kind of talk to a medical professional to get a better understanding. So, yes, I'm, I'm only able to help to some degree based right. on the experience that I have. But someone like, um, like a patient advocate is going to be much more familiar with how the process plays out in various settings in the, in the medical industry. And they're going to be better able, I think, to advocate for certain types of um, care and treatment and be able to understand sort of the nuances of how this practically plays out in the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, I, I could write a, a living will that you know, specifies that nothing happened. I mean, in terms of life-flowing measures that basically we switch you to comfort care, we keep you comfortable until you pass away, and we maintain your dignity and keep you clean, but we don't do anything to try to cure whatever's happening to you. And I could try to write that as solidly as I can, but there's a lot of wiggle room in this statute Mm -hmm. that provide a lot of discretion for hospitals and doctors to go against that. And you know, they but they can't interfere with your efforts to try to get substitute attorney or substitute uh, physicians or substitute hospitals to try to uh, find a place and a physician that will honor your wishes. And you know, I think someone that's a patient advocate is going to know that in the moment and is going to be able to um, navigate a person towards 
towards a solution or, or advocate on behalf of the family to get to a solution a lot faster and a lot more efficiently than an attorney would. Um, I can write the documents, but if you call me in a crisis, I might not be able to intervene quickly enough. But if you have a patient advocate there um, or someone that is versed like a medical professional in, um, in, in this process and the nuances of our current laws, they're going to be better able to do that, I think, very quickly. So if you could just talk for a moment or, or two about the importance of being careful about who you select to make these decisions. It may not be the person that everyone would automatically uh, uh, select to do it. Like it may not necessarily be your spouse, for example. Right. Um, healthcare proxies and advanced directives for natural death, they sort of go hand in hand, right? So a healthcare proxy is, you know, where you name a person to make medical decisions. And an advanced directive for natural death is basically you expressing your wishes about what you'd want upon certain events happening. And a lot of people, for example, may want to name their adult children as, as an agent to, to make these decisions. And it may give them discretionary authority to withhold life prolonging measures too. Um, but, you know, if you have a 20-year-old son, you know, that you're naming to make these decisions, I think it's very important to make, to have the conversation with them and make sure that they sort of understand and have an understanding of your worldview on the subject so that they can decide, make decisions about life prolonging measures as if they were you and not as if they were a 20-year-old with a 20-year-old's perspective. Not to say that 20-year-olds don't understand how this works. Of course they do. But they just, a lot of times, if, if this is your first time going through it, you're, and you have very little support from people who have an understanding of this process, um, you may make decisions that are not in the person's interest and may make decisions that um, are against their wishes. So I think it's more important, rather than picking someone that's close, um, you know, in degrees of kinship, like a spouse or a child, I think it's more important to name people that have an understanding of what your wishes are and can understand the why behind it. And not the just strength the to carry it out. You're right, exactly. At the moment when it's a, when you're when you're in that moment, you need somebody who's not going to hold back. Yeah, and you should also have a conversation with all the parties involved. Uh, explain your thought process behind that, so that no one is surprised at a no at secrets. A, yeah, at an inappropriate time. Chris Wilms, attorney with Hopler Wilms and Hannah. If folks want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Um, well, we are open, open during this crisis, um, but we're all ro working remotely. So phone 919-244-2019 uh, is going to be a good way to reach us, or also you can reach out to us on the web, which is www.hopplerwilms.com. Hopplerwilms.com. Chris, thanks again for joining us. We always appreciate you having on the program. It's always a pleasure, Jason. Thank you. We are out of time. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us. We will be back again next week. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.